to a Nerdstorian's Guide to Modern Board Games. I'm your host, Jaina, and I'm here to wade through the boring parts of history, bringing you the interesting backgrounds to today's modern games and mechanisms. Today's episode is the final installment in the history of Roll and Writes. I'm going to start off the episode with a quick history of Roll and Write variants, mostly the history of Flip and Writes, then talk about where the genre is going and some recent innovations and twists. Then to wrap up, I'm going to talk about my five, okay, no, more than five favorite free print and play Roll and Write games. Roll and Writes are such an inclusive genre with the low barrier of entry, and I wanted to share some games that create fun experiences with minimal to no money spent, depending on what you have lying around your house, of course. With that, let's dive into the history of Flip and Write, shall we? It's been a little while, but for this one, we're actually going far back enough that we're going to have to hop back into the time machine. Everyone ready? Okay, let's go! Oh, right. I uh, I forgot to tell you where we were going, didn't I? Psst. Well, I hope you brought your corsets, top hats, bustles, and petticoats because we're back in the late Victorian era. And, well, we wouldn't want to create a scandal by showing any ankle. We're here for the word game Letter Bags, created in the late Victorian era by Alexander Millen. Milan? Alexander Milan? and distributed by Miss M.I. Drury of Kingstown, Ireland. In letter bags, everyone has an identical set of letter tiles. One player is designated the caller and will place their letter tiles into a box or bag, while the rest of the players will lay out all their tiles in alphabetical order. The game proceeds through numerous rounds, with the caller pulling out and calling a letter. Then all players will collect that letter tile and place it into one of six columns of letter tiles. The goal is to make as many words and or the longest words possible. You'll be adding these tiles to one of the six columns until you make a word that's at least four letters long. You can then choose to remove that word from the column, scoring one point for a four-letter word and one additional point for each extra letter in a word. Thus, a four-letter word will score one point, while a six-letter word would score you three points. As in most tile-laying games, once a letter is placed, it cannot be moved, and once a word has been removed from the grid, those letters are unavailable for the rest of the game. The game proceeds until all letters have been used, and then everyone scores their created words based on word length, with bonus points being awarded for words that contain J, Q, X, or Z. We could argue about whether this actually qualifies as a flip and write game, but I thought it was an interesting concept and wanted to mention it, especially as that mechanism of one person drawing a tile with everyone finding and placing the identical tile appears in modern games such as Karuba. In Karuba, you're placing path tiles down, trying to make your way through the jungle, picking up gems along the way, and ultimately getting your explorers to various temples before the other players. Well, I wouldn't consider Karuba a flip and write game per se. It does give off similar vibes, and I think it's pretty interesting to find a game that was likely one of its predecessors. Like many of the games in these episodes, if you want to try out letter bags for yourself, I've included a link to the site that shows a picture of all the rules, as well as all the tiles you need to create your own copy. Normally, I wouldn't be encouraging people to build their own copies of published games that don't provide the free files for them, but in this case, I think we're fairly safe in assuming that Letterbags is very much out of print. On the plus side, it should be pretty easy to recreate with some thrifted Scrabble tiles in a bag, and with a tagline that states that it's as fascinating as Bridge, how could you not give it a try? Okay, 
Our next game is another word game called Word Squares, and we'll have to stay in the time machine for this one as it's unclear when this game was invented. Word Squares shares a lot of similarities with letter bags in that players are writing letters into a grid and they're trying to create words. In this game, instead of having a caller draw random letters out of a bag, the players take turns calling out one letter, which everyone then needs to put somewhere in their grid. It reminds me of Tiny Towns, which is a deceptively challenging spatial game of city planning, where you're placing resources in a grid to build buildings, hiding behind a veneer of lies with cute little animals on the cover, promising a relaxing game rather than the stressful 30 minutes of pulling your hair out because no one needs stone, Jason. Why did you have to call stone? Did I recently have a brutal play of Tiny Towns where I got destroyed? No. Not at all. Why do you ask? Oh, right. Back to word squares. In word squares, you're writing the called letters into a 5x5 five five grid with the goal of creating as many words of at least three letters or longer as possible, both horizontally and down, with longer words scoring more points. If you ever find yourself with a couple other people and a bit of time to kill, this would be a great game to try as all you need is a pencil and paper or, you know, a drawing app on your phone. Word squares probably doesn't quite qualify as a blank and write as there is no randomizers for the letters other than the players' imaginations, but it did lead to the first officially published flip and fill on BoardGameGeek, so I'm gonna allow it. Sark is the next game inspired by word squares, and it was published in 1949. It's pretty much the exact same game, but instead of players taking turns calling out letters, you have a deck of cards that are being flipped one by one, generating the letters that you're writing in your grid. Which is much like the town hall variant of Tiny Towns, where at least everyone is in the exact same mess, which unfortunately makes it harder to find someone other than yourself to blame when you lose horribly. Nope, not bitter about that at all. Right. <laughs> From Sark, we then get to Make 5 in 2006, which keeps the same 5x5 grid and the flipping of letter cards, but Make 5 adds in point values for each letter, which are recorded along with the letters in the grid. Now your score is determined by adding up all the letter values of every word in your grid, instead of just going off of word length. Funnily enough, Word Squares is actually rated higher on Board Game Geek, with a rating of 6.9 compared to 6.3 for Make 5. So go figure. Okay, from there we have the Quix card game, published in 2014, which is a card version of the roll and write that introduces drafting and a deeper strategy, as you know how many of each number and color are available in the game. While the rules don't look as intuitive and easy to grasp as the original Quix, I can see the deeper strategy appealing to many people. Similarly, Quinto was a roll and write follow-up to Quix, and it also has a card version that was published in 2017. And that brings us to Kokoro, Avenue of the Kodama, which is one of the earlier root-building flip-and-writes, where you're flipping over cards that have a path on them. Players then draw that path shape into their grid on their board, with the goal of connecting sanctuaries, pre-printed on your board, to as many different flowers and worms as possible that are also pre-printed on each board. Sounds simple enough, but of course, there's a few catches to keep things interesting. First, you only know the current scoring and potentially the next sanctuary, which makes it challenging to plan ahead. Second, you don't know when exactly each round will end, so there's a bit of push your luck in trying to go for longer and riskier, higher scoring paths that you may not be able to complete which is compounded by not being able to rotate the path shapes drawn. So you could be hooped waiting for a left turn that just won't come. 
And lastly, the most challenging limitation is that for each sanctuary, you must score higher than you did on the previous one. If you don't, your score for that round is zero, and you take a five-point penalty at the end of the game for each zero-scoring sanctuary. This makes for a tense challenge, as your best bet is to try and have one fully connected path snaking all around the board. But without being able to plan ahead for the sanctuary scoring order, and not being able to rotate the path shapes, it makes for a devious and deceptively tough puzzle. Well, for me, Kokoro doesn't quite have the addictive nature of Railroad Inc. or other path creation games. It's a solid game in its own right, with lots of variations and twists on how you can play to keep things interesting. Kokoro Avenue of the Kodama was published in 2017, and it brings us up to the modern big names and flippin' rights, including Welcome To and Let's Make a Bus Route which originally were published in 2018. Let's Make a Bus Route actually did things backwards to most games, coming out with a dice version after their original card version. And that brings us right up to the modern day, which means it's time to explore some recent innovations. And, you know, I'm going to try and guess and see where the genre is going to be going over the next few years. Okay, so to start off our exploration of the modern you know, blank and right genre. I think the first big change that has come is that we're starting to see a lot of kind of variations on the basics of rolling some dice and recording values in a sheet. So the first one that comes to mind is Sonora, which is, I think they deemed it a flick and fill. So in Sonora, you're taking turns flicking little discs onto a shared board and where your disc lands is going at the end of each round is going to dictate where you get to write those values in. So you've got four little mini games going on and you're trying to flick your discs, you know, probably for specific areas on the board to give you what you need so you can then fill those in later. But of course, you and your opponent or opponents are taking turns flicking your discs, so your disc could end up very far from where you were hoping it would land. Um, and that's not even taking into account the possibility that you're just not very good at aiming things when you flick. So that's kind of a cool variation. That's one of the ones I actually have played, and it was kind of fun. Um, I think it was the best kind of, you know, blank and right or whatnot out there, but it was a, it was a cool twist, and I'm glad it exists. I'd definitely play it again for sure. Next up, we have Stellar Drift, a pull-and-write game. So this one isn't published yet, and there isn't tons of information on it on BoardGameGeek, but in this one, the theme is that uh, each player has their own broken-down spaceship, and throughout the game, they're going to be screwing around that ship and trying to fix all the different parts to get it running again. So in this one, instead of rolling a di dice or flipping cards over, you're pulling different colored cubes out of a bag. And depending on the colors of cubes you get, that's going to dictate where you can go and what actions you can take. So that's kind of another, not a huge twist, but another just little twist on the genre that I think is, you know, something that we'll see more of moving forwards. The next one I'm going to mention is also, you know, kind of going to lead us into the the next thing that I think we're going to see more of, and that is Taka No Color. Taka No, Col Taka no Color? Taka No Color. Basically, it is a roll and write version of Takanoko. And I say a roll and write version um, with a little bit of confusion because, again, this one I don't believe is out yet. There isn't tons on Board Game Geek about it, but what it does say is each round, the active player will be throwing the pencil crayons or colored pencils 
and then choosing one to use. So it looks like you're basically trying to get bamboo to grow. Looks very similar to Takenoko, the original game. But I think it seems like depending on where the pencils land, that's going to dictate maybe where you can draw or where you can color in your bamboo or what you're doing. And then, of course, your pencil color, I'm assuming, would have some bearing on the game as well. So I'm not quite sure how that one's going to work in practice, but it definitely looks like a bit of a cool twist as well. However, that leads us into what I think, you know, one big thing that's been happening in Roll and Writes is that we're getting more reiterations of existing games. So I think, you know, even starting from 2018, 2019, a lot of big games are coming out, you know, with Roll and Write versions to cash in on that, this popular mechanism. We have Istanbul that has a Roll and Write version. Grand Austria Hotel has a Roll and Write version that's up on Board Game Geek. I did not know about that one. I will definitely be getting that. Uh, Isle of Cats has a great roll and write version. Yokohama, Walking in Burano has a new one. We even have Sagrada Artisans, which is not only a roll and write, but it's a legacy roll and write. So it's kind of creating a bit of a story and you'll be changing things and changing the game up as you go, which is pretty cool. I also just feel like coloring in stained glass windows is just so calming, so relaxing. Love it. And on that note, we also have Twilight Inscription. So that is a roll and write version of the big game Twilight Imperium, which is known for taking at least eight hours. Uh, roll and write's a little faster. I haven't played it, um, but Sharon, my partner from Ansi to Gansy has. It took them a solid two-ish hours. Again, I don't know the details of the game, but I know that every player had four boards of their own and it looked like there was a lot of thinking and a lot of strategizing going on which brings us to kind of the next thing that I'm seeing happening in the roll and write genre and that is the introduction of more complexity in these games so a lot of roll and writes coming up now you're seeing you know, multiple different mechanisms maybe you've got you know workers along with them more cards it's not simply just rolling some dice and writing down values you're having to do a whole bunch of other things and consider a whole bunch of other things with that so kind of in that more complex genre you've got hadrian's wall and twilight inscription are the two big standouts there in hadrian's wall you have each round you're getting workers of different colors that are going to let you activate you're basically trading those in for different actions and of course you have to have two sheets two sheets that are just crammed full of different actions you can take there's a whole bunch of different strategies you can try every game is going to be very different from the previous one so i think a lot a lot more roll and rights are probably going that route we also have roman roll which again just introduces a lot more things rather than just you know rolling some dice and writing some stuff down which leads into the Fox experiment, which weight-wise doesn't seem all that complex, but from looking at pictures, oh, there's a lot on the table. You've got your dice, you've got your sheets, you also have a whole bunch of cards, you've got little tokens, you got cute little fox meeples. Feeples. No, we're going to go with fox meeples. So again, I don't know that the game is all that complex, but it's just, it's more. Which I don't know how I feel about that, because one of my favorite things about roll and rights is that 
for most of them, you can just pull them out and go. There's no setup, very fast, very easy. If I have to do just as much work to get a roll and write to the table as I do a regular game, like a non-roll and write type game, am I actually going to pull it out over a regular game? I don't know. I guess it probably depends on the game itself, but I feel like that's something to think about. And second last, we have some creative themes coming out and more and more of them. Like for me, the fox experiment is a really cool theme. It's based on uh, experiments with foxes. I believe it was in Russia starting back in the 1950s where they started trying to breed wild foxes for their friendliness, basically. They took foxes, would only breed the friendliest, you know, most curious about people. And every generation, they kept breeding more and more friendly foxes. And eventually they noticed that the foxes were starting to take on characteristics of domesticated dogs. So they're getting spots and floppy little ears and extra curly tails, which is just kind of cool. And it, I've learned all of this just from the fox experiment, the game itself, uh, is that that experiment's still going on today. And we're learning lots about, you know, how the domestication of dogs might have happened. So I don't know, for me, that's just a really cool theme to put on a game. Some other creative themes that have come out, you've got Rolling Realms, which uh, is a Stonemaier game. And you're basically playing a series of mini games and each mini game is based on one of Stonemaier's games, which was just super cool. And you're, you're mixing and matching. I think there's 12 different realms and you're only playing with nine each game. So you're, you know, always playing a different variety, a few different puzzles to try and balance out. It has a great solo, they call it a mini golf tournament, which each round will dictate what cards you're using and you've got a specific goal you're trying to meet. They're also coming out with Rolling Realms Redux this year, which is introducing a whole bunch of non-Stonemaier game realms. And on top of that, there's, you know, promo realms for a whole bunch of different games. So really it's just, I think that's kind of cool, like taking all these published games, creating little mini games kind of within that game. And the theme drew me in. I, I picked this one up pretty early after it was released and I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's a fun little solo challenge. Then we've got French Quarter coming from the same people that brought us Fleet the Dice Game and Three Sisters and Motor City. And in French Quarter, uh, you're with a group of friends. You're all splitting up in New Orleans and you're trying to have the best vacation possible. You're going to meet up at the end of the day and compare notes. You want to go visit sites, eat delicious food, take in some, you know, cultural things, maybe catch a show or listen to some awesome music. And I think that's just a super cool theme for a game. I would absolutely want to go visit New Orleans in board game form. That's awesome. Then lastly, we have Luddite, which will be coming out soon. This one looks to be kind of interesting. Again, not tons of information, uh, but it comes with a graphic novel. And the theme of Luddite is that each player, you're going to be hacking into the neural network of these, they call them Ned Automatas, Automatas, which are bionic dog-like creatures. And basically they're capable of performing Every, you know, most tasks which are assigned to them and which humans have been doing for years and years. So your goal is to try and go in and take them down. We don't lose out to the robots. And you're basically following along your storyline with this graphic novel. And that's kind of a cool little twist to the game as well. 
So I don't know. I just feel like Roland Wrights are just getting more and more creative. They've gone from mostly completely abstract things to these games that tell a story with them. Sometimes, like with Leadite, quite literally. But where do I think that Roland Wrights are ultimately going? I think one of the biggest complaints that a lot of people have about roll and rights is that they tend to have little to no interaction. Like you take a game like Isle of Cats, say, where each round there's a grid of cards that's going to get drawn. Everyone is then choosing a row or a column, usually a row of those cards to draw in their ship to try and rescue cats. It does not matter what cards other people are drawing. You have basically zero interaction at all. Same with railroading. Love railroading, but you're basically playing a solo game, maybe while you're sitting next to someone else. So I think that in the future, we're going to see more and more roll and writes that are much more interactive. Because often there's quite a few roll and writes where you're, you know, competing in a draft. Like, okay, well, I want this die. Also, my opponent probably wants it, so I'm going to take it before they can get them. Things like Fleet, Three Sisters do that. But I think we're going to start seeing more rule and rights with shared infra infrastructure. So we have Longshot the Dice Game, which kind of introduces this central board with all these horses racing around it. And everyone's interacting with and cares about what these horses are doing. But then everyone also has their own little puzzle on their own board where they're you know, upgrading their concessions or buying silks. And you can even buy one of the horses. There's a upcoming game called Sea Beasts, which I saw on Board Game Geek. Again, very, very little that's out about it, but it's a co-op roll and write. Only one or two players, so we're geared for solo, but we'll see. So that feels like now you've got the shared puzzle that you're working towards. So I feel like in the future, this genre, I expect it's not going anywhere. I think we're still going to see more and more roll and writes coming out, but I'm guessing they're going to be leaning more towards trying to give you that same feel you'd get from a, you know, quote unquote, regular board game. So it's more, you know, about the people you're playing with rather than just your own little individual puzzle. And that brings me to the last section. So originally I said I was going to, you know, tell you about my five favorite roll and write games, but Sharon and I have already done that on a couple episodes of our previous podcast, Antsy to Gansy. So I figured instead of rehashing that when you can just go back and listen to those episodes, I am instead going to just kind of throw out some free print and plays that are available. It's such an inclusive genre, so inclusive, as long as you've got a handful of dice and a printer, you don't even need to have a color printer. Most of these are available in like a low ink or black and white format. You can just print off some games to have some fun with. So a lot of these obviously are going to need a bunch of dice. Um, my tip for you for that is check thrift stores, check thrift stores, check thrift stores. If you have any thrift stores local to you, every time you get a chance, just pop in and check. You can probably find a copy of Yahtzee. There's almost always Yahtzee in there. They'll, that'll have a bunch of dice. I've gotten lucky and just picked up like a bag of 
probably 30 or 40 regular D6 dice in a couple different colors. That was like maybe two bucks, three bucks. So keep checking thrift stores to find dice and other components. Uh, you can also order dice from Amazon for some of the games you're going to need dice of, you know, specific color or different colors. So I ordered a set, I think, of 100 dice, 10 each of 10 different colors. And they're a little smaller than normal, which is perfect for carrying along with you. And that was about 20 bucks, I think. It wasn't very much. And they've worked out really well. So there's definitely ways to get your components for a bunch of these games. I just keep all my dice in one spot so whenever I need something for these games I'll just go grab them so I don't have to keep buying components over and over again to have everything available for every game all you know individually much easier to just grab what you need when you need it all right and with that let's jump into the print and plays so I'm going to start off with a game called 30 rails this is a very similar idea to railroad ink um, in this game though you have you know, a small grid board. And each round you're rolling two dice. One die is going to indicate what shape you need to place on the grid. And one, the other die is going to indicate where on the grid you need to place that shape. So you have some options. The grid is labeled one through six on both sides. And you can place anywhere in either row or column that's labeled, say you roll a five, you can place in any of the five row or the five column. And what you're trying to do at the beginning of the game, you're setting it up so you have one station on each side of this grid, and you're trying to connect the different stations together. You're also going to set up some mountains, which are impassable, but you have one that's connected to a mine. So you want to connect all the different stations to the mines, if at all possible. And it really does give me railroad ink vibes, except the lines that you're drawing are a little bit different. So you're not going to find any T intersections here. You've got some that'll branch off, but they'll branch off so that you can only go one way, basically. You can't, you'd have to come back and do like a almost 360 degree turn to make that angle coming from the other way, which you cannot do in a train. So it's a little bit of a tighter puzzle, uh, but still a good one. And it plays you can play it solo or you can play multiplayer lots of different ways for that one you just need two dice there needs to have one that's a lighter color and one that's a darker color but super easy low ink printouts available very easy to to print out and get playing next we have corinth which is a very light uh Will and write game that's for two to four people. It does actually have an official published version, but the publisher released a print and play version of it. I believe they released that in 2020 during lockdown, you know, just to make it available to lots of people. And it was a super easy one to print out. I did print this one out in color, but you just need one sheet, it gives you two player mats. So you just cut that sheet in half. Each of you has your own little player mat then if you're only playing with two players. Then there's just a single sheet printout that's going to show you where to put your dice. In this game, you do need quite a few dice. You need nine of one color and then three of a different color. And each round, the active player is going to be rolling all of those nine dice. And then based on what they roll, you're grouping the same values together on this board. And then you're drafting the dice off of there, mostly to deliver goods uh, to different tradespeople. And it's kind of a race to deliver all the goods that are needed for each tradesperson. Or you might be collecting coins or goats to try and build some buildings that are going to you know, help give you benefits 
maybe make it, you know, you got to sell an extra good. And you're also going to be moving around on this little map, trying to, you know, collect extra goods from there, some bonuses. So it's a fairly light puzzle, a couple different things going on, but nothing particularly complicated. It didn't blow me away, but if you're looking for a fast and easy, you know, two to four player dice game, very worth printing out. Next, if you're looking for another multiplayer game with a little more strategy and a little more depth, uh, Woodcraft has a roll and write version that the publishers just put out as a free print and play. As far as I know, that's the only way to get it. Uh, it's a little bit harder to make. Uh, you will be using up a fair amount of colored ink. You do need to make some cards. Simplest way and how I did it for my copy is you can just print them out in regular paper, print out the fronts on one page, print out the backs on the other, cut them out, and then just throw a regular playing card in between the fronts and backs and just toss them into some card sleeves. Super easy, still feels solid, great way to make cards if you have access to sleeves. Uh, then you've got you've got player boards, you've got a shared board, and you also need a whole bunch of dice in kind of, I think they say orange and brown. I'm using a darker orange and a yellow. Either way, as long as you can distinguish them, it's all good. And in Woodcraft, the roll and write, very similar to the full game. You are, each round, you're gonna roll a bunch of dice. They're gonna get laid out on a board depending on their color and what value they are. You're gonna be drafting these dice and using Basically, you're collecting those dice that you draft along with any bonuses based on the location. And you're going to be trying to craft uh, really cute little wooden objects we've got. Might be making a game or a rocking chair or something. And you're competing with the other people basically to get more points. And a lot of the scoring is very similar to the full game. Um, yeah, it really gives you that experience in a shorter, more condensed game. I will say the rule book isn't great. Uh, I think it was just the translation wasn't perfected. Uh, not a great translation, but if you're patient and have a bit of time, you, you should be able to figure it out. And I think there's lots of people that have asked questions in the forums now. So hopefully there should be a bunch of clarifications out there. But yeah, if you're looking for, it works great solo too. Really good solo, a little bit of a thinkier game if you're looking for something like that. Okay, next up we have Rolling Village, which you can play solo or multiplayer. Again, super straightforward, rolling two dice. Each round, the dice are gonna determine what building or thing that you're putting onto your grid and where it's going. And you're doing that twice each round, so mixing and matching those dice. And after each round, you're scoring. So depending on the two dice values, you're going to add those up. That's going to give you which row is going to score. And basically the you're building houses or forests or lakes. And some of the spots on the grid have a value. So if you build a house, say over a, a two, it's going to score two points. And you're trying to connect a bunch of like a big group of houses together. Because if you can connect a bunch together, then every time one of them scores, all the connected ones will score and give you points as well. So yeah, I've only played it solo so far, but it's a fun, quick little puzzle. Next up is one of my favorites, Bargain Basement Bathysphere. It is a great solo only campaign roll and write. It was so good. It even has an officially published version now. I believe the print and play files are still available on BoardGameGeek. I hope so. They're low ink. You just print them all out. I threw mine in a binder and you're basically in that. You're, you've created a Bargain Basement Bathysphere. So a very sketchy submarine. Each 
each game, you're diving down below the surface, trying to collect different fish specimen. Maybe you need to rescue some people. It changes as the campaign progresses. And you're basically just pushing your luck, trying to get you know as many points as deep as you can. Uh, but you want to make sure you come back up either before your bathysphere crumbles around you or before you run out of oxygen. Uh, this might be the first campaign I'm actually going to finish. Uh, it's great. It's humor. Like, it's very funny. I love reading the stories for each one. Very well written. Just a great, quick solo roll and write campaign. Love it. Next up, we have The Simple Life, which is a solo or two-player cooperative roll and write game based very much on Stardew Valley. You're doing a lot of the same things that you're doing in the board game. You are you're maybe you're growing carrots, which are going to let you reroll dice. You're growing flowers to gift to people to make friends. You're going to be doing a bit of mining, doing some fishing. Each game, you're going to roll and randomly be assigned at least one goal that you're trying to achieve by the end of the game. You can up the difficulty and have, you know, maybe two or three. And then basically you're rolling five dice each round, each day, and doing assigning dice to different areas to take different actions. And at the end of 10 days, if you've achieved your goal or goals for that game, then you get to add up your score and see how you did. I didn't look how the co-op game works exactly, but it's just a very cozy and relaxing solo game. It's there's it's almost sandboxy. There's a few, there's quite a few things you can do. And I think the puzzle is in figuring out what order should you do things? Okay, here's my goal. What do I need to set up to, you know, hopefully be able to achieve it and do the you know, get the best score that I can. Uh, and they've got low ink versions, super easy to print out and play. Okay, next up, if you like polyomino puzzles, I highly recommend The Blob That Ate the City. Looks basic, uh, the artwork, but it's great. Each round you're rolling two dice. One die is gonna tell you what shape you're drawing out onto the map. Basically, you're a blob and you're trying to eat the city. The title really says it all. The second die you roll is going to tell you what little shape you need to add on to that blob that just ate a chunk of the city. Because, of course, as a blob and you're eating things, you're, you're going to get bigger. You can try and spread these blobs out so they mesh up together. Now, say if you roll a three and it's meshed with your six and your five and your four, now you have this huge blob that you can plop down on that city and eat a whole bunch of stuff. Just make sure that it doesn't get too big to fit, because uh, if you can't fit in the city, well, you can't eat anything. And you're basically trying to cover, there's different, there's taxis and buildings, and they it's you're drawing out onto a grid, and you're trying to eat the entire building. And buildings, different types of buildings are worth different amounts of points at the end of the game. Love this one. I've printed this one out, put it in a sheet protector and a binder, and then you can just use a dry erase marker and draw on the top of it. Makes it super easy to make it reusable so you're not printing a bunch of sheets, um, but still super cheap to, to print and make. On that note, there's also paleontologists, which is a great little roll and write for two or however many people you have, where you're trying to draw in polyomino shapes of different types to unearth all these dinosaur bones. Also a really fun one. Lastly, on the free print and plays, we have Polyhedral Park Planner. Uh, this one, again, does require you to make some cards, so a little bit more work up front. But if you like playing solo games and you like losing a lot, highly recommend. I haven't played it tons, but the solo game is really hard. The AI just scores a 
ton of points. And in this one, you are trying to plan out a city, basically the best city to host the upcoming board game convention. Love that. You got to have a nice park next to your board game convention. It looks like there's also a little expansion that's out on Board Game Geek for it. So I'm going to have to go check that one out. This one does require a set of polyhedral kind of RPG dice, uh, but most game stores have a set for super cheap. And I haven't had a chance to play this with more, you know, than just solo, but I really enjoy this one. It's a tough, tough puzzle of tough decisions. Lastly, I'm going to end with one paid print and play. And that is Dungeon Pages. This is by far my most played game this year. And in Dungeon Pages, each page has a hero up top and a dungeon below. You can cut them apart and mix and match heroes and dungeons. The base core set comes with six pages. They also have a year-long campaign that's coming out with releasing a new one each week. So if you pick that up, you have a ton of content to play with. In Dungeon Pages, you are rolling dice and you're trying to get your hero through four different regular dungeons. If you're successful in those, you can take on the boss dungeon. And you're using those rolls to write down numbers in this grid. Each dungeon is a grid. And you want to get a sequential path so you can get experience points from that dungeon. You're also going to have to be taking out baddies. You want to be collecting gold and keys that could help you in later dungeons. And it's just a really fun puzzle. My first few plays, it felt really random. Wasn't quite sure if it was clicking for me, but I came back to it a couple months later and, and everything just clicked. There's some dungeons I enjoy more than others, some heroes that are more fun than others, but you have just so much to explore and it's an addictive puzzle that I just keep coming back for more. So if you're willing to pay a little bit of money, uh, it's available on Print and Play Arcade and I highly recommend picking that one up. And that wraps up our discussion on roll and write games. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned some stuff. I sure did. And I hope you tune in in a couple of weeks for our next topic, which has yet to be decided. So it will be a surprise all around. If you want to get in touch, you can send me an email at gamenerdstorian at gmail.com. Of course, the that'll be typed out in the show notes. You'll also find links to all of the games I talked about in the show notes, either links to their Board Game Geek page, or for some of them, I can provide links straight to the uh, print and play files. If you have any topics you'd love to hear about, definitely send me an email and I will get them on the list and see what we can do. Bye. <laughs>